Well, guys, last week we began a new series, and the name of that series is called Doubt in the Storm. And uh, the tagline we are going to be using is hanging on for dear life when God doesn't seem to care. And last week's sermon really kind of wasn't a sermon per se. It was more uh, of me simply inviting you into my journey where I'm at, the place where I find myself in. And as I warned you, it wasn't going to be pretty. It was a little messy. Um, It was almost a little too uncomfortable for quote-unquote church. Um, But as I mentioned to you last week, I feel like I had to open up and be real to you. I I had to show you where I am. One thing, guys, that I refuse to do is to stand up here and to try to pretend to be someone who I'm not or, or to pretend to be on a spiritual level that I'm not. I cannot preach to you like that. I, I have to preach from where I'm at. And last week, you got a picture into where I'm at. Now, I do hope that last week's sermon didn't scare anybody off. Um, hope it didn't make you think to yourself, well, Dang, Luke's pretty messed up. Uh, maybe we should look for another church where the pastor isn't such a wreck, you know, and, you know, check out someplace else. I hope that didn't happen. I hope nobody ran away from Whitestone. Uh, but then again, there's like five empty chairs here. Maybe that happened. I don't know. But just in case, you know, some of you guys are a little nervous or uncomfortable or uneasy as to my well-being, I want to reassure you guys, I'm not going to be moving to Alaska to become a bartender in the next couple of weeks, okay? So it's at least not in a couple of weeks. But seriously, I'm okay. I am not going to give up. Uh, I am not going to turn tail and run. I am in this for the long run. And one of the reasons that I'm in this for the long run is because you guys are in this for the long run. Uh, Never have I been around a group of people as persistent and as courageous as you. Most of you guys have and are enduring suffering more than I ever have. And you're still running after Jesus. You haven't given up. And having men and women like that in the trenches with me, trust me, I'm not going to give up. Uh, I've got the best fellow soldiers at my side that I could ever ask for, and that's you. And so I'm in this for the long run because we're in this together. Uh, We choose Jesus, and we're going to hang on for dear life in every storm that we're going to face, and we're going to do it together. Amen? So thank you, Whitestone, for being that kind of encouragement to me. Man, I just I love you guys so much. Well, hopefully uh, you were able to do your homework this week. I asked all of you to find a quiet place for some quiet time where you could just sit with Jesus. And even though you might be at a spot in your life where you don't know what he's doing in your life, you don't know why he's doing it, and you may not even trust what he's doing or fully believe that he even cares about you. That might be where you're at. But I asked you to take the time to sit with him and to choose him. To verbally out loud say to Jesus, I choose you, Jesus. Because guys, in all reality, we really don't have anywhere else to go. Only he has the words of life. Only he does. And and so hopefully you went through that exercise this week and you did that. And and I truly hope that it was a special time with you and Jesus because I think that's such an important component for us to do. Well, this week we're going to continue on in this journey and I want to take you to a very interesting story in the Gospels about Jesus. This has been a very precious story to me in these last few few weeks. Um, God has been ministering to me in it. And this story in many ways will kind of be the text of this series or the story that I'll bounce back to from time to time during this whole series, because this story personally just really describes where I'm at right now. 
And I'll explain that in a bit. But go ahead in in your Bibles, if you would turn to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be at today. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And this story, right before Jesus has been preaching all day, he's been healing the sick, he's been casting out demons, he's been preaching parables. I mean, it's been a long day, and the people have been just pressing all around him. He's, he's exhausted, he's, he's, he's worn out, he's been serving the Lord all day long. And that's where we come to the story. In verse 35, it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. And so leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, as I mentioned, guys, I can really identify with this story. I mean, this story sounds like my story right now. At least when it comes to the disciples, I can feel what these disciples are feeling. And I'd be willing, that, willing to bet that most of you feel that way, way as well. Um, that's how my life has felt like. I feel like I've been in this storm and the waves are crashing over the boat and the, and the waves are crashing into the boat and water is getting in the boat and it's starting to fill up. And you know how it is at first, it's okay. I mean, it's a little alarming, but it's okay. You just do what you need to do to try to get rid of the water and you deal with it. But after... You know, the storm continues on and on, and there are more waves, and they get bigger, and they don't let up, and the water starts to add up, and the boat starts to fill up, and you can't keep up. You start to feel like if one more thing happens in your life, you're going to sink, and you're going to have to jump out and swim for your life, or else you're going to drown. And it's like Jesus is sound asleep because it doesn't seem like he's doing anything. But what I love about this story so much is that it does come to a conclusion. It does result in a powerful ending. It's not like the storm came and the disciples struggled through the whole thing and finally made it across the lake and Jesus woke up. He didn't do anything. If that was the story, it'd be kind of a lousy story. But that's not the story. It has a powerful ending. And that powerful ending, for me, gives me great hope. And it should you as well. So let's just take some time to look at this story. Starting in verse verse 35, it says that, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, the first thing I want to point out about this, guys, is that it was evening. It was nighttime. It was dark. Darkness prevailed over all the land. And I don't know, somehow I think that adds to the story for me. Because darkness has a way of making everything worse. If the storm had been during the day, And they could see, somehow I don't think it would have been as scary. But it wasn't. It was at night. It was pitch black. You can't see a thing in the middle of pitch black. And that's how they were. They didn't have flashlights. Their boat didn't have a searchlight. It was completely black. And the waves are crashing over the side of the boat. They can't see them, but they feel the slam against the boat. They feel the force of the storm, but they can't see anything. They can't even see where they're going. Even the night sky is blotted out by darkness. And let me tell you, this is a scary situation. And like I said, somehow this makes, for me, this makes this story resonate even more. 
And that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And so leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. Now, I may be drawing something out a little too far from the story, but I've always wondered about that little phrase, there were also other boats with him. Um, Why does that even get mentioned? Why do they even got to say that? But they do. It does get mentioned, and I kind of feel like there's something we can draw from it here. And here it is. And I'm going to kind of make a side note about suffering, what it relates to suffering. And here's something you need to understand. You need to be aware of this. You are not the only one in a storm. There are plenty of others around you in the storm as well. Now, you may be in your own boat in a different part of the lake facing different kinds of waves, but you are not the only one in a storm. You're not the only one suffering. And somehow I think that's so important for us to understand because it's a lesson that I'm having to learn. I think it's so easy for us to get caught up in the storm that we only focus on us. We only think about us. Am I going to make it through? Am I going to be okay? What about me? Like, for instance, even the disciples in the story, they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? There's all these other boats around, but they're only thinking about themselves. Now, I don't think this is a big part of the story, but I want to mention it regardless. The true reality is is that there are people all around us that are suffering who are going through their own difficulties, their own hardships. And you know, in a way, that should really encourage us. We're not alone. But not only that, let's not get so caught up in our storm and fear of drowning that we forget that there are others around us whose boats are filling up too, and God may want to use you to serve and rescue them, even when it seems like your boat might sink. Guys, being in a storm should not prevent you from helping others in the storm. The beginning of the summer when we were we just sent Sean off to Ecuador and things were just kind of bleak and whatnot. A woman in our midst who had just lost her husband to pancreatic cancer. Her kids are just reeling from losing their father. She is in one of the biggest storms she's ever faced in her life. And you know, after a third service one Sunday, she comes up to me. She gives me a card with a gift in it. And in this card, she says, Luke, I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. And I'm just praying that God will work a miracle in your life. And you know, that hit me square between the eyes because she is in the middle of her storm. Her boat is filling up, ready to sink. And you know what? She's thinking about me. This week, I had the privilege to spend some time with a couple who they're going through some inc- an incredible storm. The storm of cancer in their lives. And rather than focus just on them, they turned around and blessed Sean and I. It was incredible met with a couple recently in my office. They just lost their little girl. Their baby little girl just died. And at the end of our meeting, she says, Luke, can I make you a lasagna? I'm like, you're in your storm. What are you thinking about me for? But that's what we should be doing as a family of God. We're not the only one in a storm. And God may want to use you to impact somebody else. That's the way it's supposed to be. Listen, I I understand climbing into someone suffering with them isn't easy. It can get messy and it's difficult. And you may think to yourself, you know, I have enough on my own plate. 
I don't want to deal with somebody else's problems. But listen, when you do, and when you listen to God and reach out to help somebody else, reach out a hand to rescue somebody else, it can sometimes be the only, the only tangible touch from God that person will ever experience. And you're the conduit for that. So guys, can I just encourage you? Let's do it. Let's do it. I don't care how bad or bleak our storm might be. Let's reach out and let's rescue others around us in a storm. Amen? So anyways, the disciples are cruising across the lake when all of a sudden a storm hits them from out of nowhere. They don't see it coming. Just like, you know, most of us, we rarely see the storms of life coming. They just, boom, they hit without warning. And that's where they are, in the middle of the lake at night, and the storm hits, and it's bad. And the reason I know it's bad, Whitestone, is because there are seasoned fishermen in that boat who are terrified. These guys grew up on the lake. They knew what the lake was like. I'm sure they've been in plenty of storms before. They knew how to handle themselves. But this one's really bad because they are scared for their lives. And I'm sure they get to doing what they do. They start manning the oars and they're bailing out the water and they're steering the boat into the wind and they're fighting with all they got. But here's the beauty of it, guys. They're going to be fine because they have Jesus. Jesus is with them. I mean, praise the Lord. Yes, they may be in the storm, but Jesus is in their boat. Nothing is going to happen to them because they have Jesus. I'm sure Jesus is going to leap into action and he's going to save the day. And I'm sure every single disciple in that boat was thinking that in their mind. Hey, we're fine. Jesus is in our boat. I don't know about the rest of the guys out here, but we have Jesus in our boat. And you know, I've thought that myself many times as well. I'm like, hey, I'm fine. Jesus is with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I'm going to be fine in the midst of my storm because Jesus is going to leap into action. He's going to fight for me. He'll be my guide, my rock, my sustainer. He's going to fix everything. And so I think to myself, I'm going to be fine. And we've all thought that before. If we have Jesus, we're good. We've seen the cute little plaques hanging on people's walls that say, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, and I know he holds my hand. And I mean, it's beautiful. We love quotes like that. And so I'm sure the disciples at first were thinking, everything's going to be just fine. Jesus is in their boat. But you know, the crazy thing is, that attitude doesn't last for long. It doesn't last for long. The storm starts to intensify, and the wind starts to blow harder, and the waves start to get bigger, and the situation gets more and more dangerous. And unfortunately, Jesus isn't doing a thing. In fact, he's sleeping. And I don't know why, but I love how Mark puts it here. He says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I love that, sleeping on a cushion. It's like Mark almost says that with a little, sleeping on a cushion. Now, how about you, but that is one heavy sleeper. How many of you guys know a heavy sleeper? Is a teenager? Yeah. My son's like that. My son, I don't care what alarm you put in his room, he does not wake up. And I'll be spending some quiet time, you know, in the dining room, sitting on the couch there, and all of a sudden from his bedroom I hear, beep, 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 be
Oh, like hit the button. I'm like, good grief. And he's like, this is nuts. He's just a crazy heavy sleeper. Well, Jesus, in the midst of the storm, is sleeping. He's sound asleep. He isn't helping navigate the boat. He isn't helping bail out the water. He isn't manning one of the oars. He isn't doing a thing. He's sleeping. And I don't know about the rest of you guys, but that's how I've so often felt in my storm. I feel like I'm doing everything I can to keep the boat afloat. The wind is screaming. The waves are crashing. Water is filling up my boat. And I'm running from one place to the next place trying to do all the things, trying to keep from sinking. And Jesus just seems like he's sleeping. He isn't doing anything. And, and I, I don't get it. And I, it doesn't make sense to me. And why isn't he doing anything? And, and I hope you're enjoying your cushion, Jesus, because I'm drowning here. And that's where the disciples are in the story. And so look at what they do. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? The disciples woke him. And I really wish they would have added the detail, how did they wake him? Because if he isn't awake by now, I don't know what it takes to wake him. Did they hit him with a paddle? You know, I don't know what, what they did. I remember reading this story, it reminded me of my mom. I, she always would tell us this, I don't know why. But my dad is a really, he's a heavy snorer. I mean, he snores like crazy and when he's on his back. And so my mom, you know, she'd get woken up by his snoring. And the way that she would wake him up is she would just hang on to his nose. So he'd be all, <laughs> you know, gasping for breath. She'd like, turn on your stomach. And that's how every night, I mean, I don't know how he didn't have a heart attack or whatever. <coughs> But I, I don't know if that, that's what they did to wake Jesus up or not, but they woke him up, and the first thing out of their mouth is, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? Don't you care? Don't you even care? And man, I'll tell you, here's the part of the story that I most identify with. Jesus, don't you even care? Because let me tell you, when you're in the midst of the storm... And it seems like Jesus isn't doing a thing. The first question that comes to your mind, tell me if I'm wrong, the first question that comes to my mind is, Jesus, don't you even care? I'm drowning here. Don't you even care? And that's what it feels like. And I know we all know the verses. We, we, we've read them. We've memorized them that he is a loving father. He cares. He knows every hair on our head. If he, if he feeds the birds, of course he's going to take care of us. If he clothes the lilies that are just a weed, of course he's going to take care of us. Scripture is filled with verses about how he cares for us. But as you already know, in the midst of the storm, when seemingly Jesus is doing nothing, it sure seems like he doesn't care. And that's just the reality. That's how it feels. Storms have a way of causing us to question God's love and his care. And so the disciples wake him up, and that's the first thing they shout at him, like, don't you care that we're going to drown? And look at what it says next. It says, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, I, I may be way off here, but notice how it says he got up. Like I said, I may be way off, but I would bet you that this is how Jesus got up. Mm. Mm. 
I bet you that's how he got up. Because the one thing I know we can count on is that Jesus didn't wake up and freak out. He didn't wake up and be like, sweet mother, why didn't you guys wake me up sooner? I'm going to have to kick into my God powers and shut this thing down. He didn't freak out. Not at all. He just got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, he said, he didn't shout, he didn't raise his voice, he didn't scream, he said, simply said, quiet, be still. And instantly the wind died and everything was completely calm. And he turned to his disciples and he said, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so tired. Of course I care about you. Of course I don't want you to die. No, that's not what he said. He said to his disciples, why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He doesn't reassure them and say, of course I care about you. Of course I care that you are about to die. No, not at all. He does something so completely crazy that on the surface it doesn't even make sense. He asked them, guys, why are you so afraid? And I don't know, maybe I have too much of an imagination here, but I can imagine the disciples standing there, drenched wet, freezing cold, looking at each other going, do you want to tell them or do you want me to tell them? You want to know why we're so afraid? Because we were about to die. That's why. You'd think it would be obvious. But you know, the disciples are smart in that they, they've learned not to answer Jesus' questions because it usually ends them deeper. And he says, do you still have no faith? And you know, I, I've, I've pondered those two questions. I've thought about them over and over, and I've put myself in that boat over and over, and I felt what the disciples felt, and I, I tried to picture every emotion that they went through in that storm, and I've tried to listen to Jesus ask me those questions personally. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And, and you know, it hit me. It hit me this week while meeting with that couple that this was huge, and I mean huge, a huge teaching moment for the disciples. Jesus was always interested in his disciples' hearts, in what kind of men they were becoming. This was way more important to him than calming a storm. He was first and foremost a teacher, and this was a moment to teach. Because you know what, guys? Wherever Jesus went with his disciples, if you pay attention to the Gospels, wherever he went with his disciples, he was always pointing them to another reality. An unseen reality. A reality almost more real than the one that they could see. And he over and over and over kept trying to get them to see the kingdom of God at work trying to get them to see the reality of this unseen God and his kingdom working in the seen world, thus proving its existence. And when he would heal the sick, the disciples would go, wow, the kingdom of God is at work. When he would cast out demons, they'd go, wow, this unseen God is at work. When he would raise the dead to life, they'd go, wow, this unseen kingdom is at work. They would see evidence of it. But you know what? I also think he wanted to train his disciples to always know and be assured of this unseen reality even when you can't see it at work. Because guys, that essentially is what living a life of faith is. Remember what faith, what we've learned? Faith is believing 
in the unseen reality of God and His kingdom. And you know what? It's easy to be aware of the kingdom of God when you see miracles happening all around you and good stuff is happening all around you. But when you can't see it, man, that's when it's hard. That's when it's hard. You understand what I mean? I had a very good friend send me a text this week, and this is what it said. It's a quote by, by Spurgeon. He says, To trust God in the light, it's nothing. But to trust Him in the dark, now that's faith. And you know, right here was a great time to teach His disciples this very thing. Yes, they were on a lake. And yes, they were in a boat that could sink. And yes, they were in a huge storm. And yes, the situation looked dire. And nowhere around could you see a shred of evidence of God and His kingdom at work. But that does not mean that God wasn't there. And that does not mean that He wasn't at work. Just because all these horrible things were going on in the seen world does not disavow the reality of the unseen world, the reality of God's kingdom. And in this teaching lesson for his disciples, I think he wanted them to understand that no matter how bad the storm may look, no matter how dark it may get, where you can't see God and you can't see his activity, it doesn't mean he isn't there. And it doesn't mean he isn't working. The unseen kingdom of God is present. And they must learn to live with that reality always present in their minds. Even in the storms. Even in the darkness. And you know what, guys? That's why he asked, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to let this thing sink in. Guys, no matter how bad the storm may be in this seen world, we must live always aware of the unseen reality of God and His kingdom, which is always with us. That's a life of faith. And guys, this is the truth that I'm trying to learn right now. And here's why I say that, guys. I say that because Jesus was the rabbi. He's the teacher. They even called him. When they woke him up, they said, teacher. And as the rabbi and the teacher, you know what? He was always instructing. He was always teaching. And they should have always been following. You know that the rabbi-disciple relationship in those days, it was a disciple following the rabbi to the T. Literally, they would sometimes follow their rabbi's footsteps where the rabbi would be walking and they would be following the footsteps of their rabbi because they wanted to mimic him. They wanted to imitate him. They wanted to be just like their rabbi. And so guys, that means if Jesus was sleeping peacefully in the midst of the storm and Jesus was their rabbi, what should that have told them? Say it out loud. What should they have been doing? They should have climbed onto the cushion with Jesus and said, you know what, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to rest with my rabbi because that's what he's doing. 
You see, guys, here's the deal. Here's the takeaway that I want us to walk out of here with today. Maybe it's just me, but whenever I hear this story being talked about, most everyone focuses on the part where Jesus stands up and he calms the storm. And he says, peace, be still. We have songs about it. We have poems written about it. We have books written about it. And all the teachings that I've heard out will focus on how Jesus can calm your storm. They focus on not only can, but he will calm your storm. And we need to trust in Jesus because he's going to come and only he can speak to your storm and only he can say, peace, be still, and everything's going to be good. And you know what? That's great if that happens. And who knows? It just may. Jesus may come in and calm your storm. That's my hope. I hope he does that. But you know to me, the true amazing part of this story isn't that Jesus calmed the storm. Listen to me here. It was that Jesus could sleep through the storm. I want you to think about that for a second. You see, one does not sleep that soundly unless you are perfectly at rest and completely fear free of fear. And you see, Jesus had such a calm assurance of his unseen Father's presence, he could sleep in the midst of a horrific storm and not be alarmed. He could wake up and not freak out. And you want to know why? Because he knew without any wavering whatsoever that God was with him in the unseen realm and God was working in the unseen realm. And for Jesus, that's all he needed to know. And that, to me, is the crux of the story. And that, to me, is what I needed to hear from the story. Because, you see, there's going to be times in your life where Jesus doesn't calm the storm. The storm's going to continue to rage day after day, month after month, and year after year. And it's during those times that, like Jesus, you're going to have to have a confident assurance that even though you can't see evidence of God, you can't see a shred of evidence of God working around you, you can't see His kingdom at work at all in the seen world. But it doesn't matter. You know without a shadow of a doubt that He's there, right there. And He is at work. And if you can get to that point, and that's what the point I want to get to in my life, like Jesus you'll be able to rest. And not just any kind of rest, Whitestone. No, a sound rest. A sleep like a baby kind of rest. Like sleep like on a comfy cushion kind of rest. Even when you're in the middle of the screaming wind and the bashing waves and the utter darkness, you're at peace. Because even though you can't see Him, you know God is there. And that Whitestone is the spot where our teacher wants us to be. Because as my friend told me this week, he cares most about our hearts. He cares most about our hearts and the people we become. And our hearts should always be at a place of rest. Amen?